It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed Well, welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. Okay, now those of you who know this show, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part, we talk about history, politics, religion, and tonight we're going to be talking about history. We've got the immortal Ed Bars on our show talking about the Battle of New Orleans. Now, the Battle of New Orleans happened a little over uh, 200 years ago, War of 1812, and it was the last significant battle of, of the war and the most significant American victory up to that time, and maybe of all time it's the most significant American victory. And, of course, uh, Brian Kilmeade right now has his book on Andrew Jackson, The Battle of New Orleans, so I recommend you, you take a look at that. But the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, each week we have uh, we take email questions on the Kevin McCullough Show, and if you want to email your question to either through Kevin or through us, email it to theanswer at connorsandsullivan.com, theanswer at connorsandsullivan.com. And can we, can we hear uh, Kevin's question this week? Hi, Kevin McCullough. You hear me talking about getting your legal questions answered every week with Ask the Lawyer's Own Mike Connors, and he rejoins us. Uh, Mike, this question this week comes from Melissa. She says, my brother and I co-own a two-family house. Both of our names appear on the deed. He'd like to remove his name from the deed so that I could own it outright. We've already agreed on an amount. The mortgage is only under my name. Uh, Could you please provide some basic info on how I can go about getting this done, and would there be any repercussions? Thanks, Melissa. Mike Connors, what do you say? Well, it's pretty easy to get it done. All we would need to do is sign a deed from brother and sister to sister, so that wouldn't be a problem. Repercussions are what is the tax basis in the property? Did they inherit the property? Did they buy it? Does the brother live in the the property. In other words, if he lived in the property for more than two years, it's his primary residence, he would get the first $250,000 of capital gain or not taxed. Because if, if you sell your personal residence, the first $250,000 of capital gain is not taxed. If you were married, the first $500,000 of capital gain would not be taxed. So did they inherit the property? Did they buy it? Um, there, there are tax ramifications, but they may be very neutral. It sounds like Melissa needs to call the office directly and get a follow-up with some of your crack staff. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're hard answers, but at the same time, you have to figure out if there's any tax due and if there's a way to minimize the tax that might be due. Yeah, and no one's going to be better at figuring that stuff out than the great team at Connors and Sullivan. And, friends, here's the number. Uh, if you have questions, call them for yourself and get them answered. Get an appointment at any one of their convenient locations. 718-238-6500 is that number, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And if you've got a question for Mike Connors that you'd like to hear answered here on the air, email him at mikeconnors at gmail.com. That's Mike Connors at gmail.com. Mike Connors, thanks for all your help. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, so that's Kevin McCullough. You can hear him 970 The Answer each day, Monday through Friday at uh, 5 o'clock. Let's try to squeeze Bill in from Brooklyn. What What's your question, Bill? Yeah, Mike, I have a power attorney, and I got the power attorney uh, from our friend, American veteran. Mike, he's going to get a decision in a week and a half. and a letter. Yeah, I think we lost Bill there. Beth? Uh, now you you spent a little bit of time in your youth in in New Orleans, right? Oh yes, goodness okay. gracious! Dad was in med school, and I loved it. And we went to Jackson Square, and I remember the statue. And of course, when I was little, it was huge. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, again, the Battle of New Orleans. There was a Battle of New Orleans in the Civil War, and ordinarily, because I'm president of the Civil War Roundtable of New York, most of our speakers dwell on the Civil War, and, and actually Ed Bars usually dwells on on the Civil War, but he does know a lot about history in other parts of 
uh, you know, in other wars or whatever. So tonight he's going to share with us his knowledge of, of the Battle of New Orleans. And I know some of you out there know exactly who Ed Bars is. Some of you out there have no clue who Ed Bars is. And basically he was a National Parks historian. The head National Parks historian was with the National Parks Department for 50 years, wounded in the Battle of the Solomon Islands. His uh, left arm was practically torn off. And he went to college on the GI Bill, went to Georgetown, got a job with the National Park Service, stayed there for 50 years, and in the meanwhile, memorized every battlefield report going back to the Civil War. And then when he got all the battlefield reports memorized from the Civil War, he started going to the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812 and the Indian Wars and started learning about European battles and World War II battles and so forth. So if you haven't heard Ed Bars, he's a real treat. I know it's on radio, but I can tell you right now, Ed Bars does not refer to notes. He refers to his memory. And, and I know it, it sounds like just hang in there. I know radio is supposed to be fast, fast, fast. This is a, a lovely uh, speak, speaker, and just hang in there and listen to the whole thing. It's wonderful. Okay, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Onersko. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Mike Connors, host of Ask the Lawyer and published in New York Magazine's top-rated lawyers. Whether assisting a client with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, nursing home plan, or other matter, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of their clients' rights and interests. Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, has dedicated attorneys that can help you with estate planning, elder law, and probate. They listen to their clients to learn about their families, their financial picture, and their long-term goals to create a comprehensive plan to meet your objectives. They assist with the complex tax matters that are often involved in estate planning and probate. Contact Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, with offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, and Staten Island to schedule a free consultation with an attorney. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Okay, well, welcome back. Now, again, we're, we're talking about the Battle of New Orleans today, and I, I thought to put us in the mood, we might go to the Johnny Horton song, Battle of New Orleans. Go ahead. Down the mighty Mississippi We took a little bacon and we took a little beans And we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans We fired our guns and the British kept a coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico We looked down a river and we see the British come And there must have been a hundred of them beating on the drum They stepped so high and they made the bugles ring We stood beside our cotton bales and didn't say a thing We fired our guns and the British kept a coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico Old Hickory said we could take them by surprise If we didn't fire muskets till we looked them in the eye We held our fire till we see their faces well Then we opened up our squirrel guns and really gave them well We fired our guns and the British kept them coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico Mexico. 
alligator and we fought another round. We filled his head with cannonballs and powdered his behind. And when we touched the powder off, the gator lost his mind. We fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run on down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to get back into the battle in New Orleans with Ed Bars. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Amelia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash F Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank. NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is our national treasure, greatest battlefield guide in the history of the United States, Ed Bars. How are you today, sir? Very good. We've talked about every Civil War battle, I think, that the public is interested in. So we're going to change pace today. We're going to be talking about New Orleans, 1815, the Battle of New Orleans. What can you tell us about that battle? All right, the battle of the United States, of course, declares war on Great Britain when Britain is seriously embarrassed with Bonaparte. Now, when Bonaparte uh, runs into disaster after in Russia and the Battle of Leipzig, Bonaparte will abdicate for the first time and go uh, be sent to the Isle of Elba where well, he'll remain 100 days and then escape. Now, as soon as Bonaparte is dealt with, the British decide that the United States should be punished for their actions of declaring war on Britain when Britain is in a, a serious conflict with Bonaparte. So the British uh, now have a lot of unemployed soldiers that have been very successful, particularly in Spain, against uh, the French 
forces in Spain, led by uh, Jerome Bonaparte, who is not any type of a general like his brother. So the British decide they're going to send three expeditions made up largely of veterans of the Peninsula Campaign to punish uh, the, Un- uh, the United States for their uh, dec- declaration of war on them at a, at a bad time. They're going to send one force of about 10,000 men to reinforce the, con- the, uh, the British forces in Canada, and they're going to advance southward by way of the Lake Champlain Gateway. A second force will be uh, sent uh, to uh, Chesapeake Bay uh, to operate against Washington and uh, our forces there. And the third force largely made up the ones that are presumed to be successful against Washington will move against New Orleans. The British the threat to, uh, by way of Lake Champlain, will be neutralized uh, uh, in mid-September. Uh, the uh, British uh, threat that brought them to Washington and then defeat at Baltimore will then move against New Orleans. New Orleans, of course, is located 80 miles up the Mississippi River from its mouth, and it's very it's the backbone of uh, of America, and the, it had been sold by the Spanish. Uh, the French had then uh, acquired it uh, from the uh, Spanish, and they had sold the Louisiana Purchase to us in a night in 1803. So we are we have uh, New Orleans, which controls all the rivers draining a third of the continent. They were aboard the ships. Uh, at uh, Moreau, and they will arrive off the uh, Gulf Coast of the United States in at the, at the beginning of the first week of uh, December uh, 1814, uh, uh, actually off Ship Island. They're going to operate against the orders. First thing they're going to try to do is bribe this pirate John Lafitte, who is under indictment in Louisiana for piracy, and he uh, will turn down the British offer of, of him cooperating. So the British Navy is going to uh, try to uh, is going to approach New Orleans by way from the west, from the Gulf of Mexico, by way of Lake Bourne. We have a small fleet of gunboats uh, on uh, guarding the passes into uh, uh, through the Rigolese into Lake Pontchartrain, uh, five gunboats, and there will be an engagement on the uh, on the 14th and 15th day of December. The British will load a hundred and uh, will, will take 45 longboats, about a, uh, a gun in each, uh, a carronade uh, in the bow of each one, and they're going to attack and to try and capture the American gunboat fleet. They are successful. By the 16th, by the evening, by the 15th, the American gunboats, they're watching the uh, route into New Orleans to uh, uh, the Wrigley's and Lake Pontchartrain have been captured. The British then will move, uh, will, will then uh, are going to move their troops uh, from their base that they've established uh, at Ship Island and go through a chain of waterways uh, that uh, drain, uh, that connect the uh, the area of uh, east, uh, south and east of New Orleans with the uh, with the Mississippi. It's a uh, one of these uh, many channels they have. So that's the route they're going to do. They're going to they got a lot of hard work because they're going to have to uh, move their men in small boats. Now, at this time, uh, Andrew Jackson is had moved against Pensacola, which had been occupied by the British, and he's going to get his tail back to New Orleans as fast as he can. So he is going to be back in New Orleans uh, in, uh, in mid-December. 
then he is going to be bringing men all the way from Kentucky and Tennessee uh, by, uh, by boat down the river to join his forces in New Orleans. Now, his forces in New Orleans will be a hodgepodge of people. They will include several, they will include a detachment of Marines, United States Marines. They will have two regular Army units, and then they will have it turned out the free men of color. The Spanish and the French have had no trouble with or, with organizing free men of color into militia. So there will be two battalions of free men of color that are going to collect to go with those uh, people they brought down from Tennessee and uh, Kentucky. And there will be uh, defense marines, two regular army units, and Jackson is uh, beginning to cobble together. You then until John Lafitte, how about you joining us? And John Lafitte will turn over his, his, his older brother, Dominic Yu. Now, he'll be very important manning one of the seven batteries the Americans are going to establish. The British are moving through on Bayou Benvenue, and they've reached uh, Valera Plantation. Valera Plantation would be on the Mississippi River uh, about six miles downstream from where they'll fight the battle of New Orleans, or as they call it down in New Orleans, Chalmette. So the uh, Jackson decides to strike a first blow. The British have landed at Valera Plantation. Uh, Valera has escaped and told them they're there, and Jackson turns out about 5,000 men. Militia that's come down uh, from uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, the free men of color, uh, Cajuns, uh, mixed, uh, mixed bags, some regulars, and he leaves downtown New Orleans on the afternoon of the 20th. Third, he's going to march southward and and, and attack the British force that has come through on Bayou Benvenue and is assembling at Valera Plantation. Uh, Valera Plantation is about 15 miles downstream from New Orleans. There's this, there are levees there at the time bounding uh, the Mississippi, but they're not these giant levees like you see now. So Jackson is going to uh, get down there and launch a surprise attack on the advanced British contingent that is going into camp uh, near Valera Plantation, which is about uh, two or three miles downstream uh, from where the battle will be fought, which will be uh, on the boundary uh, between the McCartney Plantation and Chalmette Plantation. Now, again, the, uh, there is a, uh, a drainage ditch that runs inland from uh, near the McCartney Plantation in a straight line into the uh, swamp area uh, about a thousand yards back. Uh, Jackson is going to, that's where the battle is going to be fought. But Jackson will try to surprise the British at the battle at Valera Plantation, three miles further downstream. He gains a surprise, uh, but the British uh, ascend, uh, hold up, and Jackson will fall back to the McCartney Plantation and the Rodriguez Canal. The Rodriguez Canal is this drainage uh, canal that connects the Mississippi River some, with, uh, with the swamp area about a thousand yards inland. So Jack, uh, Jackson is, decides, here's where I'm going to fight the British. He uh, is going to also have to have a force immediately across the river from where Rodriguez uh, canal drains into the Mississippi, and there he uh, have a, have have a, a couple of gunboats, and he's going to put his uh, militia over on that side. That would be on the south side of the river, and he's going to throw up 
eight batteries, excuse me, nine batteries along uh, and use cotton bales to, uh, as a breastwork, and they have the Rodriguez Canal as a water barrier in front of them, and it's going to extend roughly a, a, a five, about 650 yards from the swamp area, and uh, two where it drains into the Mississippi River. And uh, there he's going to position his uh, eight batteries. Uh, these are uh, going to be manned uh, with, with uh, he has about 12 cannon. Uh, they're going to be st- uh, positioned along uh, the uh, uh, the Rodriguez Canal uh, beside, b- behind the cotton bale barricades. Uh, and it will be numbered very imaginatively one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. They're scattered uh, uh, probably about 50 yards between each one. They do have a small readout out in front of Battery 1. So uh, he's got his men working hard uh, on these uh, defenses, uh, uh, and uh, the British are continuing to fly their way through. Now, the British commander, it will be uh, Edward Packingham. He is going to be a, a short-tailed relative of Wellington. He has very little of Wellington's ability. Uh, he is 36 years old, and he will arrive at Belair Plantation along about, uh, about the 21st or 22nd day of, of uh, December. So they're going to, uh, Jackson decides, uh, he's already attacked them once, uh, that surprise attack, when the, before the, when the British were at Valera Plantation, and it made him very uh, nervous, and that was, and that of course had been before he had fallen back, and established his fortified line along the Rodriguez Canal between the Chalmette Plantation and the McCartney Plantation. It's going to be very smooth ground in front of him, uh, extending out, if you've ever been down there, out to where the National Cemetery is, which is for Civil War dead. So they're going to, the British are going to bring their artillery in. they got a hell of a job ferrying their artillery. And the British will make a reconnaissance to see how strong Jackson's position is on the 28th. They find it is quite strong, and they don't uh, fare very well. The next engagement will be on the first day of of January, New Year's Day. The the British have positioned their artillery uh, and their rockets, which are about uh, 1,000 yards from Jackson's line. Jackson has his uh, defenses completed. He has his guns uh, mounted. Uh, He has lost one of his gunboats in the engagement uh, back on the 23rd. And they're going to have an artillery duel. And believe it or not, our our people uh, get the upper hand on the British in the artillery duel on the first day of January. The British now are establishing their position. They're separated by about 1,000 yards. The ground is right between the British position and the Rodriguez Canal and Jackson's Cotton Bale Barricade is about uh, 800 yards. It's as flat as your, uh, if you play pool, it's as flat as a pool table. Ed, we have to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. We're talking to the legendary Ed Bars about the Battle of New Orleans. Back in a couple of minutes. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. 
Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Lavone, National Director of Priests for Life. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my to them? assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking to the legendary Ed Bars about the Battle of New Orleans, which was fought this time of year in 1815. We've been talking about the prelude to the battle, and now Ed's going to tell us about General Packingham and his plans to attack Andrew Jackson's defenses at New Orleans. Packingham decides, I'm going to attack on the 8th day of January. So he is going to attack. He is going to dig a canal uh, from the uh, from the headwaters of Benvenue Value. Bayou. That's the waterway the British had used to get their cannons and their people. The 23 miles uh, from the uh, uh, from the, from the uh, the Gulf of Mexico. To there, so he's going to decide. We're going to put uh, Colonel Thornton, probably one of the best men the British have, is going to command about fifteen, about a thousand men. They're going to dam the uh, the outlet uh, to the uh, uh, to the canal, going to Valera Plantation, and they're going to let the water build up. So that he get enough water to use it uh, to cut the levee and get their uh, landing, uh, get their longboats out into the Mississippi River. They have bad luck during the night of the in the early morning hours of the uh, of the. Uh, uh, of the uh, of the uh, of the eighth, the the dam across the uh, dividing Bayou Benvenue from the canal bursts, and the water that's backing up behind it falls. So they're going to have a hard time getting their forty some landing vessels down the canal and out into the Mississippi River. The Mississippi has a strong current. They have to wade across, and their job is to attack the American force that Jackson has placed on the south side of the Mississippi, just opposite Battery One. And that would be the extreme right flank of Jackson's line, and they they want to cooperate, but they uh, have a difficulty of. Uh, getting across the river. The Mississippi is a powerful current, and that means the British force under Thornton is not going to be able to cooperate with uh, Packingham's force in the big attack. Now, the attack is going to be they uh, are going to send a small force into the swamp area, the Cypress Swamp, 
which will be uh, which is to is is no, is north of the uh, the uh, the left flank of Jackson's line, and they're going to uh, uh, Packingham is going to form his column uh, into assault. Gibbs is going to be on the right with veterans who have been who have uh, been battling Napoleon and his people for a long time. Gibbs has been there for a while, and his men are going to advance in the area just south, uh, just, just, uh, just north of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Cypress Swamp. And uh, he is, uh, and they're going to have Colonel Mullen. You can have, if you have your worst employee, uh, let's put Pat Fauci will be Colonel Mullen. <laughs> Uh, he is a colonel of the 44th Regiment. Now, the 44th Regiment has a key role. The British, under the cover of darkness, had deposited a number of ladders, long and short ladders, and fascines. Fascines are bundles of cane that are bound together, and you can throw into water and get across. So they positioned him in an abandoned battery. Uh, uh, the uh, the guy, uh, the uh, colonel of the 44th uh, British Regiment of Foot has got a very crucial role. His job is to send his men just when, before it gets light, goes forward where they behind the redoubt where they discrate where they've. Uh, deposit their scaling ladders and the fascines because these guys that are going to attack are going to need those ladders and those fascines if they can get a, to get across Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez Canal. Now, Rodriguez Canal is about, uh, about 15 feet wide. It's about... Uh, Six. It's about four. It's a. Uh, it's about uh, f- five feet deep, and then on the uh, on the on the opposite side, the uh, Jackson side of the of the canal, and about two foot back from the edge of the canal, Jackson has sewn up a line of cotton. Bale uh, uses cotton has sewn use cotton bales to throw up a parapet, and along that parapet are where his cannons. Where his uh, this is where his uh, his seven his eight batteries are positioned. Particularly, an important battery will be Battery Five, which is near the present day monument, because it has a big eighteen pounder and. Uh, and uh, to the right of it is battery uh, is uh, is batteries is battery five. It has three guns in it, and uh, they uh, and then they have battery one. Of course, is very near the Mississippi. So uh, Gibbs's force is going to be on the right, probably thirty or forty yards. To their right is the impassable area of the cedar thicket. Now, when they advance, they expect our friend, uh, well, the 44th, to meet them with the fascines and the ladders. Well, uh, he's he's a little. Uh, the colonel is a little little dense, and he hasn't located where they are. And they can't find them. When they find them, it's rather late because the British have got tired. Gibbs has got tired of waiting, and he's begun his advance. So everything, and uh, and Gibbs and uh, and uh, he has begun his advance. Now the other column, and this other column is. Uh, 
is uh, is being spirited by the 53rd, 50, the, the 93rd Regiment of Highlanders. They're tall, mean SOBs. They've been stationed in South Africa. They also are, have the light companies of the various infantry regiments. Now, the British infantry regiments were, all, were organized. Each British regiment has a light company. These are guys that are uh, are very nimble. Uh, they are like that young man that usually calls me up, and uh, they're good with the bayonet. And uh, they have the light companies of the other infantry regiments. They have, and start with the 53rd uh, uh, 53rd uh, uh, Regiment, and they're moving down the road that parallels the Mississippi River with just a very slight levee on their left. Gibbs has the main striking force, and he's going to be on the right, but he's going to be dependent on getting those uh, ladders and fast scenes that the colonel of the 44th uh, Regiment of Foot is supposed to uh, get. Later on, he'll be saying, if I survive the battle, I'm going to hang, hang Morton from that tree right there, because he screwed everything up. And the event starts. Now, the, the, the British planned to co to the force on the far side of the river has, has had trouble getting into position. And they missed, say, the, uh, a rocket fired by uh, the main force on the opposite side of the river, and they will not be able to cooperate, even if they had been thinking about it. So they advance. So there's going to be no. Uh, they so that means the people on the far side of the river under Thornton are not going to be able to seize the cannons that can fire across the river and enfilade the British right, which would be uh, the, the uh, Keene's column, which is moving down the road right adjacent to the river. So the British are moving. This is not, and they, uh, things are beginning, and they uh, come under heavy fire. Uh, Gibbs is wondering, where in the hell are those guys in the 44th uh, Regiment of Foot? They're not around. We need our ladders. We need our fast scenes to get across the ditch. And they begin to take heavy casualties. Packingham is trying to coordinate them. He sees that Gibbs is in serious trouble. And he says, uh, he sends a message uh, to the Colonel Dale of the, 50, uh, 60, uh, the 93rd Regiment of Scots. He says, I want you to move, to leave your co the column, moving down the road adjacent to the river, have them move across the field and come to the support of Gibbs. And so Dale starts off moving, uh, does it oblique to the right and starts moving across. Now, the, now they're in big trouble. They're now within range of the uh, of Jackson's guns. Jackson has no artillery up. Excuse me, the Brits have no guns up there with them, and Jackson's guns have opened fire, firing canister and grape in a short rally. And the heads of the columns are beginning to melt away. Predict of Gibbs' column on the far right. As uh, as Dale with the 93rd cuts across on an oblique uh, to join uh, Gibbs, uh, uh, they find out, and that's they're in big trouble as they begin shooting them down. Now Jackson is only going to have 15 casualties here, maybe 20 at the most. The British are going to have over 2,000 casualties of their 5,000 men. So they're and the only British troops that are going to get 
are going to get into the Union, into the British defenses, and there will be the defenses held by the Marines and the 7th Infantry are the spearhead of the Light Infantry that are marching down the the road parallel the levee. They get in there and hold the redoubt for a few minutes, but they're unsuccessful. The their commander will be uh, badly wounded. Pakingham has now gone forward to try and straighten everything out, and he's going to uh, get himself uh, mortally wounded. Gibbs's column uh, comes in, and it's now melting away in front of batteries five, the three guns in battery five. Uh, the uh, Dominic U the, uh, is having a field day, and within about 20 minutes, the British attack is, is obviously being repulsed. Gibbs is mortally wounded. Packingham is mortally wounded. Dale is uh, going to be mortally wounded. So he's not going to be able to hang uh, the commander of the of the 40th, 44th Infantry that has screwed up. So they're going to fall back. Packingham's last orders to his reserve, commanded by Colonel Lambert, is you better you were we're falling back, and I think you're, if you commit your reserve, it'll be uh, sending uh, uh, good money after bad money. So within uh, uh, within about 20, 30 minutes of hard fighting, if you forget the earlier movements, probably two hours, the battle is over. Uh, and New Orleans, New Orleans has been saved. Jackson has become a hero. Uh, the British uh, uh, will uh, will uh, get together and discuss. Packingham will die that night. Now, good thing, uh, what they do in those days to preserve uh, uh, well-known and high-ranking people, to get them back so they can uh, bury them without them, uh, decompose them, they put them in a keg of of brandy or wine. So they'll put him in a keg of wine to send him back uh, for Wellington's uh, sister, who is now a widow, to bury her husband. So the British are going to have 2,000 casualties out of the 6,000 men they committed to the attack. Meanwhile, the British, uh, uh, Thornton has finally got moving. And, uh, and uh, by the time Thornton moves, uh, the uh, British on the, uh, 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 have failed in their attack on the Rodriguez Canal uh, uh, line of Jackson. Uh, the uh, people, the militia over on the far side of the river, uh, naturally panic. Uh, they capture, the Thornton captures her position, captures her cannon, which they abandon, but they, uh, the British decide, uh, uh, they uh, have decided we're not going to try another attack. We're going to withdraw from the area. So they begin withdrawing on the way they came. Now, an interesting thing about the Battle of New Orleans uh, is on Christmas Eve in in Ostend, France, in Ostend, Belgium, British and American representatives had met, and they had signed a treaty uh, ending the war. Of course, the treaty, if the British had won the battle, Parliament would have never approved the treaty. And uh, since we won the battle, our Congress is very welcome to, uh, is very eager to approve the treaty. So if the, if we if Jackson had lost, undoubtedly New Orleans would have fallen. The British would have controlled the, the major city at the mouth of the Mississippi, and they would have uh, command. Uh, they would have also demanded the property they've already occupied in the United States, particularly in north northeastern Maine. 
gain as booty. So the uh, the Battle of New Orleans is over. It's going to make Jackson a, he- a national hero, make him a president of the United States, and the uh, uh, Brits of. So we feel pretty good about ourselves uh, because after having a very bad first two years of the War of 1812, we've ended with a great victory. Ed Bars, thank you for bringing history to life. Okay, so Beth, you learn anything about Battle of New Orleans? I learned a lot, and I even grew up part of my life in New Orleans, so... (laughs) My, I always focused on Jean Lafitte, you know, the, the the romantic pirate that comes to everyone's aid. Oh, my goodness. And remember the movie? Yes. Not the uh, best movie of all time. And not Charlton Heston's best, but we still love Charlton Heston. <laughs> we still do with that hair. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, but that's, it's uh, romantic times and... Jackson Square, like I say, we would go. That was a big, it was a big day. You know, it was just lovely. I loved New Orleans. Okay, now, by I the way, the <laughs> some of you that were, you know, referenced there, he talked about Pat Fauci. Pat Fauci is a member of the Civil War Roundtable who played A.P. Hill in the movie Gettysburg, and that was Ed's homage to uh, Pat Fauci. <laughs> that was another part that he should play in the future oh. after doing such an excellent job on A.P. Hill, who occasionally made mistakes <laughs> during the, the Civil War. Now, changing but the wait, s- I have something very important to say. Okay. Remember, anybody that listens to the show, remember that from Batman and Robin, Robin said that he started making some dog food because they rescued dogs and they felt it was important for them to have good nutrition. Well, Mike Connors there ordered some dog food, and it is world-class canine nutrition from Gentle Giants. We got some. He got chicken and beef for our precious Otto, and Otto loves it. So I don't know how much, I don't know if he's getting better nourishment, or. but he did not like his other dog food, and he loves this dog food. So we're going to have to send a note of thank you and say we love this dog food. So thank you. Thank you, Pop Pop, for getting Otto some good, good dog food. <laughs> okay, well, you know, that was Burt Ward. Look on the Internet, Burt Ward's dog food or gentle giant or whatever. Now, he claims that, you know, the it extends dogs' life expectancy. So that we have a long, you know, we have to figure that one out. We have hopefully a long time before we figure that one out for Otto. But it, he, Otto does like the food, so it's, you know, another one of those people that uh, has gotten a product. You know, he's doing good stuff, and he's saying 90% of it's meat, and then the other stuff, you know, they're 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 not stuffing it with grains and stuff, so... Go for it. Okay, so if we didn't spend a lot of time on estate planning tonight, so if you want to talk about estate planning, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We'll see you next week at the same place. David Kincaid is telling us to say good night. Bye-bye, everybody. Here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away.